0: The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCSO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid sized businesses. Check them out at vcsoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment. Mark Burnett is joining us today. He is the shareholder in charge for LBMC
1: Information Security. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Greg, it I'm looking forward to our conversation. Really glad to be here. I always look forward to all conversations (laughs) we have. (laughs) You and I have a good time. And
0: we've known each other a long time. But I would like to hear your story from the beginning on how you got into information security and how you ended up
1: as shareholder in charge at LBMC Information Security. You know what, Greg? I, I bet in all the years we've known each other, you've probably never heard this story from beginning to end. You know some of it because you've been a part of it. But um, I, uh, I uh, got I got my master's degree at University of Tennessee, Knoxville in accounting. And so I got hired by Ernst & Young to come and do IT audit. And at the time that I was hired by ENY, ENY was, uh, the big six firms were just starting to do cybersecurity consulting. Mm-hmm. And so I had been doing IT audit for a couple of years and I, I watched and said, Hey, I think I'd like to do that. And so they moved me over into their new cybersecurity consulting team. And at that point, then I really got to learn from people who, who knew cybersecurity really, really well. As a matter of fact, little point of interest for, um, your listeners, um, the fellows that had started EY's cybersecurity consulting team, George Kurtz and Stuart McClure, names that may be recognized, left and formed a company called Foundstone. And now George Kurtz is uh, CrowdStrike as well. So he's founded oh. two very, very well-known okay. uh, cybersecurity consulting companies over the years after leaving EY. So got to got to learn cyber from from the, that crew for a while, and then um, eventually. Uh, Deloitte and Touche called me and said, Hey, we want to build what E&Y is building and we'd like you to help lead our Tennessee market in this area. And so I left E&Y and went to Deloitte, went to a competitor and um, was working there. And after several years, Greg, of doing that, what struck me was I would go to clients and, you know, as consultants, we often will go into a client and we'll say, Hey, you know, we'll bring you this, this thought leadership, this, you know, information and, We'll give it to you and say, okay, here you go. Good luck. You know, make some progress. Mm -hmm. And then we come back next year and we say, hey, how much progress did you make on, you know, those cybersecurity efforts we talked about last year? And they're like, oh, the report's over here and they're dusting it off. And I was going, why didn't you make any progress? I don't understand. And they're going, well, we couldn't get management's buy-in. We couldn't get budget. We couldn't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so what struck me was, I probably needed to go own the problem to understand how challenging it was for cybersecurity leaders to actually convince their their management teams to put investments in cybersecurity. And so about the time I'm having this revelation, one of my clients says, hey, we'd like you to come be the global head of cybersecurity. And so uh, it was a good opportunity for me to go and take ownership of a cybersecurity program. And I was responsible for uh, the, co- the company had operations in 100 countries, about 13,000 employees worldwide. And so mm-hmm. that was a unique challenge to go from you know, having never been a security leader at all, to being a CISO, a global company, publicly traded company, was was uh, you know kind of zero to one hundred pretty quickly. A yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, but uh, what was you know the the U.S. didn't have a lot of security laws at the time. HIPAA had been passed but was not enforced yet um, and this was just so
0: this was like 1996
1: this was in in the late early 2000s very early 2000s yeah so HIPAA had been yeah. passed you know we knew it but but they, they weren't really enforcing it yet and then um, this was right as Sarbanes-Oxley was coming along right. all right, right and we had Grand Leach-Bliley that was about the only thing however a lot of the international jurisdictions where my company operated had had much stronger security and privacy laws for example Uh, In the U.K., they had British Standard 7799, BS 7799, which is now ISO 27001. Right. Okay, that's what became ISO 27001. The Germans and the Italians had privacy laws. And so what I ended up doing is taking all of those various laws that applied to our jurisdictions and, and building a framework because there wasn't a framework available at the time. We didn't have a lot of stuff. Yes, we had some of the NIST publications and things like that. Um, those were acknowledged, but not really in adoption at the time. So right. people knew about, you know, some of the NIST publications and all that, but they certainly weren't um, t- used in, in, you know, common uh, nature like they are now. And we didn't have the NIST CSF; that that didn't exist, right? right. right. So um, anyway, uh, that that's how. And after several years at that organization, I got a call from another company and another publicly traded company, and they said, hey, we just got this letter from Visa, something about CISP compliance. And they said, if we don't comply, that uh, they're gonna revoke our ability to take credit cards. And they said, Oh, and our internal audit group shows up and they're auditing us for this thing called socks. And they keep telling we fail and we don't understand because we wear socks every day. So, <laughs> you know, what, what can you help us? And, um, and so it was a great opportunity for me to go to that organization and, um, and build a security program for them as well, uh, and, um, different industries as well. So the first, the first organization was in the insurance industry. And this one, um, as you know, is in the hospitality industry. And so different kinds of challenges, different types of data, different approach to thinking about risk management. Obviously, with an insurance company, they did risk management for a living. So they were hardwired to understand it. So it was a little bit easier when you're taught, when you're communicating the concepts and all of that and and, and lumping cyber risks in with other risks for them to go, okay, I got it. I got it. Right. Um, hospitality company, different perspective. And, um, so that's where Greg, it really challenged me to think about how I communicate. With my fellow senior executives, and um, get them to the point where they're understanding what we're saying without talking pings, packets, ports, firewalls, and all that right, stuff. You have because to talk their language, yes, exactly, yours, exactly. Um, business executives, most of them, don't have the technical expertise, and if you start talking in that level of detail, they will. Um, they'll feel inferior, and then they'll they'll tune you out, and they'll say, "I don't want I don't want that person in the room because they make me feel stupid." And right. the last thing you want to do is make a senior executive in your company feel stupid. Right. And and if you if you lose that touch point, you've
0: basically lost your effectiveness in the job.
1: That's exactly right. Because if they quit asking you into the room, you're not gonna be able to have the audience to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. And so so um anyway, I was very sensitive to that. And so it did challenge me to start crafting my message in a way that it resonated with with the business leaders. And um had some success doing that. Um and then, uh, but all along the way, Greg, while I was doing that, um, several of my mentors and, and people whose counsel I trusted were telling me, Burnett, you're built to be an entrepreneur. You, you're built to be an entrepreneur. And, but I was enjoying what I was doing. Uh, I was proud of the organization I worked at and all of that. And so, um, uh, you know, I was just kind of ignoring that. Well, uh, then the economic downturn of 08, 09 came along mm-hmm. and unexpectedly I found myself looking for opportunities. So during that time,
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a, way of putting
1: it well you know <laughs> when you we, when you when you work for a hotel company and nobody's traveling and going to hotels so anyway but that so that then um, it really caused me to kind of be open minded to things and um, I got a call from a gentleman in Texas um, and let me stop here before I finish the story and tell you Greg you know one of the things that's been most valuable to me and one of the pieces of advice that I give young college students when they're asking me hey you know what's some advice you can give me um, Networking is probably the, the single most important thing oh my that God. business people yes. can do. Yes. And, uh, you know, just the, the, as you know, you and I have had this relationship for many years since we first met, you know, and, and I know your, your listeners know your story. Um, but uh, in this particular case, when I was unemployed, I began calling all the people that were former <laughs> peers of mine in security leadership roles and uh, vendors that I had met, you know, different people that I had uh, met and had a relationship with along the way and said, hey, I'm looking for opportunities. And the fellow that called me in Texas, uh, had gotten my name because he had called somebody and said, Hey, I want to talk to you. Uh, it was a CISO that he'd called. I want to talk to you about maybe coming in and, and, you know, taking a leadership role in my company. Right. And the CISO said, Hey, I love my job right now, but I know a guy that'd be perfect. Uh, yeah. And so I get this call out of the blue from a fellow who says, my name's Jeff and we're supposed to talk. And I'm like, great, I'll talk to anybody when you talk about. And so, you know, skipping ahead, uh, he asked me to come be the president of the company. He he was an executive who had taken Exo Communications public. He had taken some of the money that he had gotten from that and invested in a cyber company. And skipping ahead a few years, the other uh, owners that he'd had had left the company and he owned the company, but didn't know a lot about the industry. Right. Uh, and so he needed somebody to come and really, you know, kind of guide the company. And it was a neat opportunity for me to be a true entrepreneur. Um, you know, we did have a few employees. We had a little bit of um, recurring revenue, but it was really about you know, coming up with a plan and building a business. Right. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what we did. And, um, before I did that, ironically, um, I called my friends at LBMC. I had hired LBMC when I was in those two CISO roles to come in and do some work for me, had a great respect for them. Um, knew, uh, several of the the shareholders there. Uh, we were all co-founders of the local chapter of the ISSA. Right. Uh, and so, you know, had, a, again, had a great respect for them and I called them and said, Hey, I'm, I'm about to, uh, open up a, a competitor in, in your market. Um, you know, we, I, I'd rather work for y'all, is there an opportunity there? Keep in mind, this was still during the economic downturn, and they said, hey, there's not really an opportunity right now for another senior leadership role at our organization. We're focused on making sure we want to protect all the jobs for people that we have. We're, you know, LBMC's philosophy is we, we we don't lay people off, things like that. We're very people-focused, and so um, they said, we, we can't really afford to bring on another senior leader. Good luck to you. There's plenty of work out there. You know, we'll we'll stay in touch. Uh, well, two years later, they called me and said, "We're tired of competing with you." Uh, and um, the difference, Greg, was uh, the the model that I had had because we were in a in a startup mode. We were doing a lot of the bootstrapping, the traditional bootstrapping. I didn't have the overhead that a larger firm did, right? And so I and, and, and my model had been what, what what I had realized was in those nine years that I was a security leader, I wasn't finding. And this was uh, again a number of years ago, before there were a ton of CISOs, Greg. So as I said, it was the economic downturn, oh eight oh nine. And, um, and I hadn't found a lot of people who were in consulting roles who'd actually been security leaders. Most of them were auditors and right. or converted auditors. And, you know, for an auditor, um, uh, and auditors are, of course, very smart and capable. But to an auditor, things are black and white because they have to be. Mm-hmm. An auditor's job is to assess you against a standard and determine whether or not you meet the standard, right? Right. And so what I was finding is that didn't always translate when someone would try to make that transition to do security consulting to understanding the idea of managing risk to an extent. Right. Level.
0: Because InfoSec is just about risk management.
1: It is not yes or no. It isn't binary. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so since I had had this epiphany, I thought there really needs to be an organization that's providing relevant, practical, and actionable cybersecurity solutions delivered by people who walked a mile in the shoes of security leaders. So when I was considering taking the helm of this this organization, I actually called several of my peers and said, hey, hypothetically speaking, matter of fact, I probably spoke with you, hypothetically speaking, if if I had a company that was doing this, you know, would you be interested in engaging us? And they were all like, how quickly can we can we get you in? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did was uh, we, we kind of reimagined that business that I was the president of, brought in several other security leaders who um, had, had been in significant security leadership roles, and we went to the market delivering those services. So um, in terms of competition, we were competing with either technology companies that were using um, you know technology-focused people to try to deliver cybersecurity services or organizations that were still largely using auditors, people with audit backgrounds to do that. And so we had this unique niche of expertise, and we didn't cost as much. But I could still make the margin because I didn't have the overhead. Right. Okay? Right. And so um, that, that, in essence, is what led to uh, LBMC calling and saying, we really like what you've built. And um, we'd like to add those capabilities to our firm. And so just over 11 years ago, um, that's what we did was uh, we ended up, I, I brought that business to LBMC and added it to LBMC's already very strong IT audit capabilities. And LBMC had started uh, a PCI a credit card security practice as well. So that was in part of the beginning stages. And um, so we were able to add in a number of other services and it's grown from there.
0: So I want to get back. Um, you said something that I think is very important to to um, revisit, and that's the networking um, part—not the data networking, obviously, but the people, people. Yes, um, and that kind of dovetails with around the time on when we met, and that was um, you were part of a committee that eventually chose a new, uh, well, the, the first CISO for Metro Nashville. Yep, which which. Was, uh, was you. And I Was you, that. yes. But, <laughs> it but, was a good choice, by the way. <laughs> but but the, uh, the, the thing that was really a difference for me at that point in time is that I had been um, essentially in the CISO role at Middle Tennessee State University, which, for those who don't know the area is, is, um, what, 30 miles southeast, 35 miles southeast of Nashville. I did not spend really too much time in Nashville. I didn't do the networking. So, when I first started with Metro, I didn't. I suddenly was exposed to, like, I had never heard of ISSA, for example. This whole world that I. I, If I could go back. Now, I was networking in the higher ed um, space. Sure, of course you were. A lot with EDUCAUSE and all that. Right. But not locally. And if I could maybe reemphasize, based on my mistake, um, the importance of networking, if I could go back in time, I would have been more proactive as far as networking in that sense even and and nowadays with so many things being online being so far away is not an excuse
1: yep yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, Greg, to kind of further emphasize that networking point, um, I did not have a personal relationship with the mayor of Nashville. But what he ended up doing right after he came into his office, the city experienced a cyber breach. And so he said, I want to commission a a, a committee of five private citizens with cyber expertise to advise me in my office on cybersecurity matters. And so um, because of my network, the people putting that together reached out and said, would you be a part of this? And that's how I came to be a part of that. And it was a great, you know, I I love the opportunity to serve the city of Nashville. That was a lot of fun. And I I got a lot of pride in that um, and enjoyed, you know, helping help Nashville think more securely. And then, of course, um, you know, as the the, the city came to the decision that it needed, uh, by the way, they came to that decision from cajoling from us, where we said, you need a dedicated role, you you know, to, to, (laughs) you know, and and it, it, of course, as we all know in this industry, that's the right decision. When you can afford it, when you grow to enough, you need a dedicated person. It's just too hard for people wearing multiple hats to do that well. um, And so um, that was, you know, and, and of course, that's how we came to meet. And I know you'll remember that shortly after you took the job, um i and a couple others reached out and said hey we'd love for you to start coming to issa we'd, yes, we'd love for yes. you to start being a part of this and that's when you went well great tell me what that is i sounds like I, something i should do and you know here you've since held offices here in issa you've been a part of the the conference that yeah we're um, recording
0: this even though it, it, it's it's later in september when it goes out we're recording this at
1: infosec yes right early in early september the yeah. single longest running security conference in uh in tennessee so i did not do yeah, that. yeah I absolutely. Have that, So. But.
0: That's awesome. Well, you know, uh, one other uh, point from there, just a lesson to take away. Uh, when the mayor, he surrounded himself with people who knew, as opposed to, like, making decisions on his own. And I think that's a big takeaway. But... Um, but Okay, so you have a long career and you've worked, I know, with LBMC in particular because a couple of places that I've been involved with, we have contracted with LBMC for security needs. Um, Most of my career has been spent in in the small to mid-sized business market. Yep. So I know you all work a lot in there. Um, What would you think would be the greatest information security threat to small and mid-sized businesses today?
1: Sure. I'm going to take two angles with this, Greg. First of all... um, One of them is universal to every business, regardless of small business or not, and that is um, uh, what we don't know. Um, So the the biggest threat is what we don't know about, okay? Uh, And because any threats that we're aware of, we can make the conscious decision to manage the risk. We can make the conscious decision to ignore the risk, you know, so if we're aware of it, that's one thing. But so the single biggest threat is what we're not aware of. But I'm going to add on to that, the, the biggest threat facing small and medium businesses is not having access to people who understand the cyber threats that can make them aware of it. So, you know, many small businesses can't afford to have a dedicated cybersecurity resource. Right. And, um, and I don't blame them. I mean, if you look at, you know, FTEs and costs and things like that, that's hard. But um, that's why small businesses need access to security expertise that they can borrow on a fractional basis and have someone come in that spends enough time understanding their industry, their market, their risk tolerance, um, and, you know, their unique space and then providing them with some guidance on how to think about how to manage that risk to an acceptable level.
0: And, of course, that, that's the birth of the virtual CISO market, yep. or sometimes fractional CISO. I, I, I think fractional as more on-site, but it's kind of like merge. I think it really doesn't matter what you call it. Um, do you – well, let me back up. I, I've seen instances where, because that, that need has kind of like exploded over the last five years – there have been a lot of organizations that have gotten involved. Um, do you see there potentially being an issue of not a standardization across the board of that sort of security expertise?
1: Yeah, you know, Greg, that's a great question. I think um, the the other challenge for fall, for small businesses is how, because most of the business owners won't, by their very nature, understand cyber. How do they vet a potential? candidate when they're saying, Hey, is this entity, this person, this organization, the right organization to help me make these cybersecurity decisions? And if they, they don't know the questions to ask, it's going to be a difficult challenge. And so, yes, you you could have a situation where someone holds themselves out to be a cybersecurity expert. And, um, you know, the small business doesn't have any good way to really understand that short of looking at things like certifications. If they've attained a certification, well, that doesn't mean they have the requisite implementation-related knowledge. It means they've learned enough from a book, right? They've right. they've been able to, to recur. But, but uh, yes, I think that's a that is a difficult challenge. Is how do um, how do the businesses um, first how do they become aware that there's that service that opportunity out there, and then two, what, what, how do they vet the the candidates they're considering to say, hey, this would be the right person for my organization.
0: And then also from the standpoint of security versus compliance, a lot of times. What we see in small and mid-sized businesses is the initial driver, and you probably see this at LBMC too, where the initial driver sometimes is leaping to meet compliance with something like, say, for example, meeting a SOC 2 audit, because that's become huge over the last few years because of third-party vendor management needs, and you have that independent assessor that can at least vet security controls of the company. But do you see sometimes that there is a, what's the best way I can phrase this, a resistance to go beyond compliance and to really build a solid security program?
1: Yes, Greg. Um, it is still <clears throat> true that, uh, and we, we still do see this, uh, is that a lot of what's driving investments in security is need to comply. Um, And we all wish, I know all of us in cyber wish that it was focused on managing risk to an acceptable level because that's what should drive security investments is saying, hey, let's understand our risks and manage them to a level that the organization is willing to accept. Because when we do that, that will, by its very nature, help us attain whatever compliance obligation that we have. But it will also help us get that best balance of cost benefit from investment in cyber. But, yes, we do still see that a lot of that is they're going, what do I have to do to check the box? I'll check the box and I'll move on. And I think that's where it's continued onus on us in the cybersecurity industry to do our best to continue to educate those business leaders we're interacting with to help them understand it's not about compliance. It's about managing risk to an acceptable level.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a hard question. All
1: right.
0: (laughs) Or maybe it'd be an easy one for you. How, how
1: How does an organization define the risk tolerance? um well you know that's going to be it, it, uh, frankly um, a small business i think uh, the owners are going to have a feeling of risk tolerance um just by uh, it, when i it, when, how we define it in, in the industry you know the uh, the accounting industry has a definition for risk tolerance and um it, it 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 takes into account things like um you know management's mindset um the 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 life, sto- the life cycle of the company so you know startup companies are going to have Way more risk tolerance than, say, a venerable, well established business that has a great reputation. You know, if you want to use that as an example. But ultimately, it's up to the owner to decide what their risk tolerance is. And they're probably going to do it based on um, what's it going to cost me and what's my perception of the commiserate value that I'll get. And the challenge we face in cyber, Greg, is that very rarely do cybersecurity investments increase revenues. Or reduce costs, which are the two things that an owner is going to look at that create value. And that's where it comes back to us to show how we convince them that, well, yes, what you're doing is probably not going to increase revenues – um, and what you 're doing is going to actually in- increase your cost in the short term, but if we can show the the resulting offset in the risk reduction so the likelihood that they won 't have to deal with a ransomware infection that causes them to be down for three days and what the lost revenues would be if their business was not operational, that type of stuff that 's really how we have to turn the conversation around and get them to the point where they say, "Oh, if I could spend this amount of money, which is you know not significant but not insignificant if we can you know but and and avoid the chance that you know, like my competitor did two weeks ago down the street, have a you know whatever. Then that's how we can convince them that they should, they should pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, I think you you pinged on it real well that it's not just about the controls that we put in place. It's about educating that risk management mindset, particularly. Yeah. And then I'm going to come back to small and mid sized businesses where a lot of times they'll look at security as, oh, hey, you know, I got a firewall and I'm secure. You know, you don't hear that as much anymore, but that used to be like pretty common. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. I have firewalls. I'm good. <laughs>
0: Well, it's a lot going on in your life, Mark. What do you, what do you do to decompress?
1: Oh, I'm a big sports fan, Greg, as you probably know from our hallway conversations. Uh, and, um, so I enjoy on the weekends, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catch a live sporting event. Being here in Nashville, there's plenty of, um, really good teams and, um, I'm a uh, UT Vol as well. I mentioned I got my master's there. And so I'll go back to Knoxville and catch a Tennessee game there as well. So, and I do that with, I've got, we've got my wife and I have, have two daughters. And so um we'll often, I'll often take one of my girls and we'll do kind of a daddy daughter thing. And uh it's a great way to decompress.
0: I have not yet been to the soccer stadium. Okay. And, and I know, um, you know, you're, you're. You've been several times. You're big into that. Yep. Um, but I haven't talked to you since actually they've had games there. I'm just curious. I mean, I, I, you expected the experience to be wonderful. Has it met your expectations?
1: Yeah, they did a great job. The The, the stadium, it's, it's, it's beautiful. They did a nice job. You know, of course, when you build something brand new and you can look at other ones that are in existence, you can even ask the questions, what would you have done differently? They did that when they started building it. And um, so uh, I I think it was very well thought out, Uh, even the way it's it's oriented, Greg, the way they thought about when the sun is setting, how do we minimize... the the people that had the sun like in their eyes where they're doing like this, if we're playing an evening game, Ah. it was, they were very thoughtful about that as well. And so um, it's a, it's a great stadium. They did a really nice job. Almost every seat is covered. The stadium is open air, but the way they built the awning that, you know, kind of hangs over, most of the seats are covered. So in the chance that it's raining, um, you know, the team's out there getting wet and the spectators are dry. And, uh, anyway, they did a really good job. And then they were very thoughtful about the, the food options. Uh, it's a lot of Nashville based vendors, so it's not the There's traditional a lot of hot chicken. It's yeah, there, there is a hot chicken place. There's a, you know, they've got a barbecue place and a pizza place, but the cool part is they chose local Nashville businesses. It's not pizza hut. And some of those it is, you know, they gave Nashville businesses the opportunity to, to come in and operate the, the stands. Awesome. Um,
0: future plans.
1: Um, you know, uh, you know, Greg, that, um, I've spent a lot of time in the last several years, um, speaking and writing about leadership. And yes. that's been something that's been a passion of mine for a long time, having been you a, wrote CEO. a book. I did. I did. Yes. I should have brought it with me. Risky you business. You yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those that are here today, there's copies that are, uh, they can swing by and I'll, I'll be happy to give them a copy, we but. should have brought one in here. To up. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> um, anyway. And, and so, um, I've enjoyed, you know, my personal role at the firm has evolved. And while I still run our, LBMC Information Security, the firm's asked me to take on additional leadership responsibilities with other consulting businesses that we have within our firm as well. So we're kind of rolling those all together. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, I'm really enjoying that leadership uh, role. It's 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 kind of uh, forcing me to think a little bit broader than technology, which is where most of my career has been. And so that's been a good challenge. And and I'm looking forward to, uh, to moving forward in that role and, and seeing where that takes us.
0: That's awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Appreciate always catching
1: up with you. You too, brother. It's uh, good to see you and uh, I really look forward to a good day today and uh, thanks for the time.
0: Awesome. Everybody stay secure.
1: Cheers.